Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day. Again, we thank you for your watch, care, and mercy over us. Father, I ask that as we uh, have this discussion about salad mix and the different concepts behind salad mix and why we do what we do, that you would um, work through me to be a blessing to these, these folks, your people, that they might be able to do something in their community that helps them to stand out for you. Lord, and as um, I present, I pray that I would be working with you and not against you, and that you would labor in me and through me to minister to your people. We thank you for the opportunity to share these things. I pray it's a blessing. Lord, I pray they hear it, but not just be hearers, but they would put these things into action. They put their hand to the plow, and they'd be about your business. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray. Amen. So I get to do the introduction slide. So this is a proud moment on the farm. Can, I, can we just... You can introduce us by name? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry. Never mind. And um, we had a hard time growing head lettuce. And so this is our fourth season and the head lettuce actually started working. So that's why Larry's... He doesn't usually smile in pictures, but you kind of see his teeth there. I think he's happy. I'm pretty sure he's happy in this picture. And then this uh, picture on the top there, um, well, sorry, this is Larry Lesher. Um, I'm supposed to be introducing him. So that's Larry. This is Larry. (laughs) Michelle is my name. And uh, we both um, are stewards of the farm Eastward Gardens. It's in southern Indiana. We've been farming this ground for five years. Previous to that, we were at the Black Hills Health and Education Center where Larry ran their uh, farm for four years, and I worked as a dietitian there. And then previous to that, Larry uh, farmed in Seattle, Washington for four seasons. So this is our 12th season, this past season of farming. So a lot of what Larry learned about salad mix production was in Seattle and that experience in Seattle area. And then... um, I've been working as a nurse and a dietitian and a lactation consultant for many, many, many years. And my dream uh, was to quit my job and start farming with Larry full time. And that dream came true this past June. So we are a family farm now. And uh, we both do this full time and it's been such a blessing. And then this is our cat. This is Monty. He brings us a lot of joy on the farm. He loves the farm. And so we had to include him in the picture because of that reason. So, um, Monty is pest control. Yeah. He kills a lot of hermits. So, if I can get this together here. All right, there we go. All right, so, salad mix is, is not as straightforward as one would think or hope. That's been my observation. Um, when, I, when I started farming, the farm that I interned on, they, their specialty was salad mix. When I say their specialty was salad mix, I don't mean they did a lot of salad mix. Like It wasn't like a big salad mix farm. It was a very mixed, diverse farm, but salad mix was a big seller at the market. And we did bitters mix, and we did regular salad mix. And so we cut it all by hand. We... Um, I learned a lot, and, and when I came to salad mix, you know, my, my understanding of salad mix was if you were really, really adventurous, you got the one with all the different lettuces in it, you know, at the salad bar, whatever. 
and typically it was iceberg lettuce, and you got the little cherry tomato on the side. And so that's how I understood salad mix as, as a young person growing up. And, and when I came to this farm, I was just like, this is crazy. Like, this is nothing like I've ever seen. And so I got very interested in it because to me, it was, if you saw the first slide, it was like an art project. Like all these different colors and textures and just all this possibility. And so if, I, I just really enjoyed it. And so when we started our own farm the next year, I'm gonna click on. we... Um, we started looking at salad mix in a real serious way on our farm. And so we did it the same way. I'm going to get to how we do it and why we did it. But where I learned was on this farm in Seattle. We actually introduced a whole other branch. We didn't do the bitters mix, which I wish we would, but most people don't like bitter things, unfortunately. It's very good for your digestion. Um, they're usually very nutrient packed. Like if you take a, a red rib dandelion green, they're probably one of the best things in the garden for you but no one will eat them generally. And so we shift it to what we call a, a spicy blend. And so I'll explain that to you later. Michelle wants to interject. I just wanted to add that salad mix has become our best seller at the market. So it's what draws people there week after week. We have dedicated customers that come just for the salad mix. And then sometimes they'll dabble and get other things. It draws people to the booth. It's become our niche. Um, it's a little more labor, labor intensive, which we're gonna go over, um, but it has become our niche and our bestseller. So, I don't know that, um, you know, there's different things for different people. I think of Connor Creekmore, he does it totally different than I do it. Um, some of the folks that I know that do it uh, different ways, they're all very successful at what they do. And so what I do may not work for you. And so I want to give you kind of a broad scope of different options, like different ways people do it. But ultimately, it's going to come down to you're talking to me and this is how I do it. And so I'm going to go through how we do it at the end in kind of a more detailed fashion. Um, so you can see up there. So you can buy and you, people are probably familiar with. So these are the different general different ways that things happen. You have mixed blends, which are if you ever bought a mixed blend seed packet, if you've ever seen. If you've ever seen a mixed blend seed packet, they uh, they they tend to uh, just try to figure out what seeds are going to grow at the same rate, blend them together to give you a multiple mix of lettuces and different other things depending on the kinds of mix you get. Um, they have pluses and minuses. Um, you can put those down relatively. You can use small spaces. It's easier. You don't have to think about it. Um, you just put your blend in and everything comes up together. It has its pluses and its minuses because you don't get to select any of those seeds. You don't get to decide what's in your blend. You don't get to select what you get in the blend. And so for me, that's, that's kind of complicated because the thing that happens is one thing will grow really fast. Your mustard greens, like if, they have, if you get a spicier blend, the mustards take off and your lettuce is a little runty. It's yellow because it can't see the light and now you've got this really funky blend. And so that's kind of a drawback to it. So when you're picking your blends, if you decide to go that route, you need to kind of experiment with them to see which ones are going to really actually grow at the same rate. Uh, it's really important. Otherwise, they just look funny and, here's and they don't picture. work right. Here's a picture to show you kind yeah. of the different rates and the so like if you look in there that's a mixed blend but if you look at it this is a ruby streaks mustard that's a mizuna mustard that's a red giant mustard that's an osaka purple mustard do you, i don't see any lettuce 
That's not a mustard blend. There's lettuce underneath those leaves, I, will, I can almost guarantee you. And so this is the problem that I see with this blend most of the time. And so if you're going to do lettuces, then you need to kind of get the packages that are all lettuce and not the spicier ones. And, and you know, that, that's, you just have to, if you're going to decide to go that way, you just decide, you know, what works for you. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and even if it works for you at one time of the year, lettuce doesn't grow the same in the heat as it does in the cold, neither does mustards, and so it may work for you one point in the year, but at another point of the year, it, it may not work right. And so they get a little bit complicated in that way. And so we've opted not to do it that way because I just found that it, it, you just don't get a quality salad mix out of that. Um, and again, I'm, I'm saying that Jean-Martin has done it for years. I think he's switching somewhat the way he does it, but he's made a perfectly fine living doing it. And so people do successfully grow things that way. So I'm not saying you can't do it. I'm saying for me, I've found those problems didn't work for me. So the other way that's becoming very, very popular is Salanova. Um, Salanova's... I have not experimented with them. I called Johnny's this year. Um, I have some concerns with them. Uh, they are patented. For me, anything that's alive and patented is like a red flags just start going left and right like wild. And so I called Johnny's and, and asked them about the patent. Johnny's doesn't grow it. They get it from somebody else. And obviously someone put a lot of effort and energy and time and money in developing this lettuce. And they want to protect that. And I can respect that too. But... To patent life is a big leap in my mind. And they have not just a, like there's several different kinds of patents you can get on food. And this is about the strongest patent you can get. It's called a, a utility patent. And if you as a gardener were to save seed from this, technically you're breaking the law. You're not allowed to even use it for your own self. Now, there are other patent laws where they say you can, you know, you can save the seed, you can do whatever you want with it as long as you don't sell it and you don't breed it and sell it. The second breeding stage, then you can sell it. So there's just different patent laws, and this one is, is definitely the strongest patent law you can get for living things. That, you decide what you think of that and how you want to deal with that. Um, so I put that out front just because that was something that I called Johnny's. They sent me a packet of it to, to experiment with it, to see it, to, to see if it's, if it's really if that's what I want to do or not. Um, there is another variety that comes from high mowing called One Cuts. And so I ordered seed from them to see about those. So when I show you what I do, I'm telling you that you should never be stuck in one model. You should never be willing, not willing to throw something away if something better comes along. And so we're going to experiment with these and see if either you know, they're good enough, as are, or if we can incorporate these into our system, because our system is, is really a proprietary blend. I'm going to share it with you guys. It's only proprietary because I made it up. Um, uh, but I think it's a really good blend. It's got a lot of good coloration. It's got a lot of good textures. And it's got a diversity of flavors. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So the, the benefits of Salanova is that it tends to be a really quick way to get salad mix. The thing that is so unique, well, it's, the reason it's got a patent is because it's got certain disease resistance. But the thing that's actually, for, for my purposes, that's so unique about it is all those leaves are generally the same size. So you grab that whole head and you cut it just above the growth point, and when you let go, the outside leaves aren't bigger than the inside leaves. It's all generally the same size leaf. Same size leaf. The other benefit is, is if you're cutting baby greens, 
Baby greens really, and I know the microgreen craze and all these things, but they really don't have any flavor in my opinion, generally speaking. This is a full-size leaf that's in a baby size. Generally, it's a little larger sometimes than you might want, but it's a, it's a good size leaf for salad mix. But it's a full-size leaf with full-size lettuce flavor. So that's a huge benefit in my mind. Um, and so there's some real, real strong cases for why this is a really good option. Um, and so that's something we're considering. There are, um, it's also probably easier to manage. Uh, it's a head lettuce. It's not a row of greens with in-row weeding. The, the in-row weeding is like a hoe, very easy, very quick. Head lettuce is much easier to grow than a row of salad greens with weeds all coming up in your mix. That generally requires either stale bedding to prevent that or some sort of technique uh, before you plant to prepare the bed not to have that problem or your hands. Um, yeah, so um, it's also, is everybody here familiar with landscape fabric? All right, so landscape fabric is, uh, Michael kind of hit on it, it it's whether it's solid plastic or a, a plastic that's breathable. Landscape fabric is a, is a mesh plastic, um, and water penetrates it. Uh, air can move in and out of it, so you have less chances of anaerobic behavior. Um, Watering becomes less of an issue. It, it does tend to run off, but it does penetrate, especially in a couple of years when the, the stuff sort of breaks down and isn't so repellent to water. Water goes through it much easier. And so you can use that, which obviously mitigates the, uh, the problems of weed pressure. In the fall and in the spring, it's also going to warm the ground quicker, so your lettuce is going to grow faster. I sh I'm sure uh, Vivian's thinking, yeah, I can see it in our 100-degree weather. Our plant's just melting, so there's that thing to consider as well. So it has its pluses and minuses and timings with that. But it is a, definitely a benefit often to be able to use that product. You've got to put it down and put it up. And that can be a bit of a headache with that as well. But pluses and minuses you've got to weigh. Um, you do have less options. I mean, this is the whole selection for the Salanova mix. You have your what they call core types and your incise types. And that's it. That's your selection. So at best, you're going to get eight blends in your mix from it, and you can see the bottom ones aren't that different, the top ones aren't that different. I mean, there's subtle differences, but they're not that different. You've got, a, in my opinion, a pretty bland mix with your options. This is cost. All right, the other, the other drawback, and I think this is a pretty big drawback, a thousand seeds of the core type, a thousand seeds, is $42.05. That's a lot of money. You are getting for that. Now I want to back up because you get a lot more salad mix out of that one head than you would out of one row foot of just cutting a row of salad mix. And so while it is more expensive up front, you may want to weigh are you getting more lettuce with less headache in the process. So what's the contrast to what a thousand seeds of one of ours cost? I don't buy them by the seed. Like, I buy them by the quarter-pound bag, and they're usually a quarter-pound of seeds, which is thousands, thousands and thousands and thousands. I mean, like, you know, 40,000 seeds um, for, like, $32, $40 at tops. I mean, you may get them for $19 even. I, I get some of my seeds. It just depends on the variety of the seed you're getting. But they're substantially cheaper. Um, but you're laying them in a lot thicker than you would with these. So... You know, I don't know what the actual, like I said, I haven't used it yet, and so 
we're going to test some of this and see what the cost really is. And it, it may not actually be more expensive in the long run. But up front, 1,000 seeds for that price is a little nerve-wracking to me. Like, I'm like, wow, that's a lot. I mean, it's not a lot of money, but anyway. It's more than what you're, I'm used to paying, I should say it that way. We're gonna, if you write your questions down because of the mic, if we can, uh, I'll, I'll definitely, I should have time at the end to answer questions. I gotta hurry up now then. <laughs> All right, individual varieties. This is how we do it. And so this is what we do. We, we hand select which varieties we wanna grow and we plant them individually. If you can see, there, there are seven rows in our beds. That's how we plant. Um, most of the time, I'll do two, of, two rows of the same thing, two rows of the same thing. Two rows of the same thing and a row of one thing. Um, what I find is I get a higher quality product when I do it that way. So everything, if I'm planting and we'll get to some of the names, I, I know the names of every lettuce that I grow. So if you come to my booth, if you're at my marketing seminar earlier this week, um, you know, it's important to know when a customer comes up and you're like, oh, that's Samantha. Or how I went up there and I pointed out all the different mustards. When a customer comes up and they know you know that, and you, they can kind of automatically tell you care about what you're doing and you really thought about what you wanted to grow, and that makes an impression upon your customers. And you should care about it, and you should have hand selected. You should have selected it because you know what characteristics you want in it. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, we, like I said earlier, I think this is more cost effective. Right now, I'll tell you once I, once I experiment with the other one, and it, it may not be, but right now it's more cost effective for seed. Um, but it does tend to require more space because I'm not just putting all the seeds down in one row. So automatically, I've got to, you know, have seven I have seven lettuces, I have seven rows of lettuce. You know, and, and I'm adding a lot more stuff to the blend. So right now we're just talking about lettuces. I'm doing eight different kinds of lettuces. And then we do mustards, crest. We do several other things. We'll get to that. Um, one of the big drawbacks is more management. It, is, it requires a lot of management. And... Michelle wants to talk about it because she manages the weed pressure. She wants to talk about how she deals with that. So just so you all know, I love salad mix, and I love hand weeding, and I love hand harvesting. So if you don't love those things, it might not work for you because there's a lot of stuff that goes into the salad mix. I just... It's like Larry said, it's kind of like my art thing, you know, the varieties and just enjoying the, the color and the textures and just how unique it is that it's a good quality and people can't get it anywhere else. Um, I really put a lot of time into it. So I pretty much do all the harvesting for all the salad mix because honestly, Larry is not patient enough for it. He is just like, forget it. If there's a time we have a large order and say one of the things that we're growing is not doing so well and you have to do more picking through it, Larry would have just said, forget it a long time ago, but I will patiently sit there and harvest through and pick through things when he would not. So another reason why our salad mix is one of our best sellers is because we have it consistently the entire season. Most farmers stop doing salad mix in the summer because it becomes so labor intensive. Um, and you have to do succession planting much quicker one after the other because it grows so fast and then it can bolt. 
Um, but because it's become my labor of love, I do it all summer long. And that's another reason why it sells a lot, because no one else really has it. So she's managing that side of it. The side that I manage is that planting plant and how that all looks in the field and how that happens successively and the rates at which we need to do that. And, and it, it varies. Like she said, in the springtime, it's different than the summer and in the fall is even different than, than the other two. And so you kind of got to get a feel for the weather and what's going on. And it's really difficult because if you, when you get into the rainy seasons, prepping those beds in a way that it facilitates the seeds to even get into the ground properly, timing becomes a really big issue and management really is an issue. And tarps can help a lot. They can cover the ground and keep it relatively drier. Um, and so those are some things that you can, <laughs> um, those are some of the things you can do to, uh, to sort of help you get into the field when it may be wet, uh, you may be having rains. Um, it also helps you with trying to mitigate some of that seed bank that's there by germinating those seeds and killing them back. Um, I do agree with Michael, though, when he was when we were talking about that anaerobic condition, you know, a lot of people are using tarps or not tarps, but black plastic on their fields. I don't do that because I do believe you start to get anaerobic when you can't get oxygen down there because it's a solid black, you know, mat heating things up. What we do, though, is we use it for short periods of time, just long enough to germinate that seed, kill that plant back. And then we basically, in a large degree, still bed at that bed. And now our weed bank is much more diminished. Um, and so that's one of the techniques to trying to get your beds manageable for weed pressure. Um, so there's a whole lot of timing involved, as you can see. So what we do in the timing of it is I will go in and so we amend as we go on the farm. We don't mend once at the beginning of the season. We may do that with certain materials, but there are certain materials that go down every time we're working up beds. And so I'm going to work up beds a little bit in advance. And so what I'll do is I mend the beds, work that in, and we have a, a spader. We use a spader. If you don't know what a spader is, you can come talk to me. It's an Italian implement. Um, we work those materials in, and then I will cover the beds from there. And then when I take the tarp off, I do a shallow till to set a seed bed, and then we'll mark the beds and seed right into the beds. Um, but so that's, there's a lot of management that goes into all the salad mixes, really. But I think when you have the different blends, the different, when they're individually in every row, you've just got a lot more dynamics going on in that. Um, the varieties that I have that I use, I'm going to give you the specific ones. They are really good varieties flavor-wise. They generally work when it's hot and when it's cold. And that's hard to find. We've done a lot of experimenting, and it's not always the case. You know, weather can do a lot number on anything, really. And so, but generally speaking, we grow this pretty much year-round. And they, our salad mix are pretty much always delicious. Um, and so... That's a big, so our mix, we'll just cut to the chase. So the number that you see, that's how many rows I plant of it. And then those are the varieties. So Samantha is a red oak leaf. Royal oak is a green oak leaf, but it's not just a typical green oak leaf. It's a, it's a looks like a real, that, that one that I was holding in my hand at the beginning, that's, that was royal oak. I grow it as a head lettuce as well. Did you see how it had the little pointy stick like it's shooting off everywhere? It looks like you just woke up from, 
you know, bedhead. It is such a spectacular oak leaf. And so you, that one will get tip burn sometimes when it's hot, uh, if it's really hot. And so that's something to know about that particular variety. Um, I plant them anyway because we're cutting them fairly young and I can usually get them before they get <coughs> tip burn or anything like that. Um, and, and that is one I am considering the, the Oakley Salanova. They may change places after we try it and see how good it is. And I'll probably, most likely I won't use the Salanovas. Most likely I'll go to the one cuts from high mowing since they're, they're open seed. You know, it's not a, it's, you can do whatever you want with those. Um, and so I'm trying them both to see how it's going to work out. Um, so mascara is a, it's a, um, it's a, another red oak. So here's a trick. If you look at a red leaf lettuce, it is not a red leaf. Usually it's about two thirds red or half red. And so you got half green. And if you want coloration in your salad mix and you go, oh, I'm going to do half green and half red. You've really just done a quarter red and three quarters green. And so you need to add a little more red into that to get that punch, that, that, you know, those, those bright colors. And you want different color reds because you know why they make cars in commercials red? Because people's eyes are drawn to it. People are attracted to that color. And if you want your salad mix to be attractive, those red highlights just make it pop. And so we do the two oak leaves and they're subtly different in their textures and their coloration. Texture is huge. When you put something in your mouth, you don't want it to be some limp, just no, just body. It just is chews up, goes down. You want crunch. That's why people like romaine, right? Romaine salad, it's crunchy. It's got some body. It's got something there. But you don't just want romaine either. And so we also do a Merlot. Now, Merlot is a, a pretty bitter mix, but it is the darkest. It's solid red all the way through from top to bottom. It's got a very frizzy leaf. It's got a strong, pungent flavor. In my opinion, I think it adds to the mix. Because when you put that, if you ate it by itself, you'd be like, oh, that's too much. But when you put it in the mix, it just has that little bit of hint of flavor in the background that it just adds a little more to the salad mix, in my opinion. Now, this is outrageous, is spelled correct. It's also a red, it's a red romaine. Um, it's a very nice lettuce. It works well most of the time. Um, I uh, have grown it. I think we've grown this since the very beginning, and I've never changed it. It is just such a good lettuce, in my opinion. Flashy Troutback is a very temperamental lettuce, in my opinion. It has a tendency to, to tip burn. But it has any, does everybody here know what Flashy Troutback is? Florenschlel, or I can't name, say the word. That's why I put flashy trout back. It goes by two names. It is like this emerald green lettuce that looks like, like, like uh, some abstract expressionist just splattered paint on it. And it's this brilliant, like maroonish red splattering on it. It's a beautiful lettuce. And it's a, it's a, a romaine lettuce as well. And so when you put that in the mix... It's just this spectacular splashed green and red that is, shows up in your mix, and it's just beautiful to look at. Michelle wants to comment on it. I just wanted to add, at the times when flashy trout back doesn't do as well because it's like a little more temperamental, I might not be able to put as much in there, but it's still in there, and it still adds beauty. It's just not as much. And it's a good tasting lettuce, too. And so it has really good qualities. It has some challenges. 
And like she said, if, if it's having problems, you can just add a little in, just as highlight accent, you know. Um, the next one would be brown gold ring. Now, that just sounds ridiculous. In the title, even in the, when, they, when they, like, I'll give you who I get these things from as well. But Wild Garden Seed, it has a little thing. They, Wild Garden Seed is a guy named Frank Morton. He's probably my favorite breeder. He's actually breeding for nutrient density in foods now. And so that to me is like, this guy's on the right track. And he does really interesting salads or lettuces. He, uh, he, he, they write about this and they say, the name really doesn't do it justice. People generally don't buy it because who buys brown gold ring? Like, what is that, right? No appeal. It should have been rocket shine. That's what one of the people said. You should have named this rocket shine. But so they do testing with, with high school kids. And what they do is they have these, the, the, what is it, Future Farmers of America or whatever it is group from, and he's in the Lamb Valley in Oregon. And he will bring these kids in and they do, they do flavor test. This one always wins. It's the sweetest lettuce he has. And it's got this brown, it's a green, an emerald green lettuce with a bronze brown, a bronze hue that as it comes up to the tip. And it is just a really pretty lettuce. It's not a practical lettuce. It's a very thin romance, romaine style lettuce. And, and it, but it adds a lot to the mix. It's, it's just a different texture and it's a very sweet lettuce. And so that's why that's in there. Um, the Plato too. I struggled so long with a green romaine that was a decent green romaine. They just, they just don't work right for some reason. They just didn't, they never, at least for me. I mean, I tried Jericho. I tried you, all kinds of different ones. And I never really liked them, and I kind of dealt with them. This lettuce is a spectacular performer, and it tastes good. Sometimes, I mean... Sometimes it is like the base of our mix. It's so prolific and so good, and it's very hearty. It works in the summer. It works in the winter. It's a great romaine. And so... And even after it bolts a little bit, it still tastes good. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, if you're desperate and you need to get some body into the mix, you can always go back to that. Um, so that's our general mix. Um, then... Um, so down here is a braising mix that we do. Well... Not exactly. So the way I have this set up is these are my beds, is how I've labeled it for you. So I do one bed like that, the next bed I do like this, and this is my third bed. If you look down here at the bottom, that's called Trace Fine Marichari, or Frise. If you've ever gotten mixed salad greens, you know the really frizzy one that's in there that's, that's bitter and nobody likes. I love it. It is absolutely spectacular in the mix. It gives loft and texture to the mix that you cannot get anywhere else. And while you may not like the flavor, you should like the flavor. And the texture is just Color, wonderful. And it gives a nice white stem. And to get white in your mix is important too. Like it, it just adds dimension to the salad mix. And if you don't like it, don't put it in your mix. But I'm encouraging you to learn to love it. Mm -hmm. The Trace Fine Marichari, or Mar I think it's, a, yeah, Marichari Trace Fine. It's called frise. And specifically, there's different versions of this. And I think this is why people don't typically like it. Most people don't get a, a triple cut. What that means is, is the tips are much finer. And if you don't get that, they're kind of a wide leaf. It's kind of thick and it's kind of chewy and it's really bitter. And they're not that good. But if you get the fine cut ones, and you can get this at Wild Garden Seed as well, the fine cut ones, they don't, they're not as bitter and you get more blanched heart, more white, more white uh, on them, 
and it's a much, it's frilly, and it gives this loft to the salad mix, so it's not just a flat, you know, when you put a bunch of, you know, flat leaves together, and the water gets in them, they're just like a flat, <laughs> and you start adding these things in, and it just gives a loft to the salad mix, and it looks way better. So, we, we, can, we can put, if you see the red Russian kale, the bull's blood beet, and the rainbow chard, we used to put all that in the salad mix, and my sense was as the customers, it was a little overwhelming for our customers. I think it's great in the mix. You get the golden, you know, rainbow shards and the pinks and all these colors, and it looks great. They typically would get too big for our mix, and it was getting complicated. The bull's blood beet, I think it's a, it's a little tougher, but it's like this just the burgundy dark red that just really adds a color to the mix. But it was a little bit hard, I think, for people to palate a beet flavor in their salad mix. The red Russian kale actually works really well in the salad mix. You, you could put that in there. But we took it out because we actually turned this into a braising mix. And so now we just cut this separately by itself, and we bag it by itself, and it's a braising mix. Just the charred kale and beet. Just the, just the charred kale and the beet, not the, the trace vine. Not the frisé. The frisé is actually for the salad mix. So just to clarify, he has it on the projector like this because this shows you how we plant them yeah um a braising mix if you don't know what a braising does everybody here know what a braising mix is yeah. so let me, let me explain she's the dietitian nutritionist <laughs> she can tell you what that okay is. so braising mixes are typically hardier greens the term braising is when you you get a pan, you can put just water, or you can put a little bit of olive oil or whatever oil you want to use. I tend to do a little garlic or onion. You put the greens in there and kind of get them cooking, and then just a couple minutes after that, you're going to splash water into the pan to cause like a steaming effect, and that's the braising. So it's a quick wilt cook. You don't cook them very long, maybe three to five minutes, and it's usually the hardier greens. So we call it our braising mix because all those greens are hardier greens. So you kind of get a seared edge, but then when the steam, when you throw the water in, it steams it, and it kind of steams the inner part of the leaf. And so you kind of get this cooked, seared, nice, wonderful food. Um, and so anyway, that's our braising mix. Um, spicy mix. Start to talk about a spicy mix. All right, so this is... so. We would make that mix, okay. Um, so we, that's kind of the base of our mix. We'll get to another portion of our mix, which is arugula. Um, and we actually put arugula in our base mix as well. Um, we call it a not so spicy mix. And then we have a spicy mix. Um, arugula just has a nutty flavor to it that a lot of people love or hate, but in the salad mix, it just adds a little background hint of the nutty flavor that it has. It, it is a really good addition in there. Even if you don't like it, I don't think it's overpowering, and it works really well. And so we put that in our base mix. And so what we do is we create a base mix, and then that's what we would we would build off of that, everything else. So that mix, we're going we're gonna to harvest all that, bring it into the wash station, throw it in the water. If you have questions, write them down, and I will answer your questions at the end. We'll, we'll throw them in the water. We'll go back out while that stuff is hydro-cooling and harvest the rest of our mix. When we come in, before we throw whatever we've harvested into the mix, we'll take whatever poundage we want out of that water, spin it dry, pack it up, it goes in the cooler, 
and then the rest is left in there, and then we create a whole nother mix. Which is our spicy And this mix. becomes the base of that mix, and this would be our spicy mix. And so in our spicy mix, we're gonna use some, uh, mostly a bunch of Asian greens, some hot, some not hot. And I'll tell you which ones are and which ones aren't. So Tatsoi, Tatsoi is a very mild green. It's, and I think I talk about it in a later slide, but I'll just give you the insight of it now. It's what spinach wants to be. It's kind of the same texture as spinach. It looks like spinach, <laughs> except for it's got a little more flavor than spinach. And so... Easier to grow. It's much easier to grow than spinach. Spinach would be a definite plus in the mix as well, but spinach you can sell by itself at a high dollar point, and and it's a little more difficult to have consistently. And so to have it in your base mix would be it would be coming and going out and at our farm, and so we leave it out of the base mix. Cress, the particular cress that we grow, there are Persian cress. There's several different kinds of cress. We grow one called wrinkled, crinkled, crumpled cress. And the reason why is it looks like a little miniature green curly kale. I mean, when I say little, it's like half an inch and what's it taste big. Like? And it tastes like wasabi. It's got such a punch. I mean, this stuff is, is a powerful little leaf. Repeat the name. Wrinkled, crinkled, crumpled cress. And it packs a major punch. Um, it's, it's the one thing at the market when people come up and they say, oh, you have a spicy salad mix. We're like, yeah. Do you want to try a leaf? And then they try it. They're like, whoa, I can't believe that little leaf can have so much flavor. And then they buy it back. Every time. Either that or scared of it. Either that or they And, and so we, we don't put a ton of it in there. Yeah, just a it little It is bit. just a background. But it's got like this wasabi flavor, which... You can't overpower somebody with that. That's a lot of flavor. And so if you just lay it in just slightly, it gives this really great addition to the... See, we're making a very complex flavor here. There's a lot of different flavors going on in our salad mix. We want them to complement one another. We don't want one to just overbear. And so you, you start to figure out in your mixes, okay, we've got a lot of this this week, and so we can pair it with this. And that's why it's like art it's going to vary somewhat every time you do it. I'm not telling you, oh, this many pounds of this, this many pounds of this, this many pounds of this, and this is your mix. We just blend them together, and we look at it and go, yeah, it needs more red. It needs more of this. It needs more body, and, and we kind of make a decision like that. <clears throat> so, okay, so the next bed I'll plant, and so you can see I do four beds of Totsoy. And, four rows. I'm sorry, four rows, not beds. Four <laughs> rows of Totsoy and three rows of cress. We almost never utilize all the cress. But it's such a small little thing, I can't really put a bunch of tall stuff next to it. So I'm kind of, I put it in the bed anyway. Um, restaurants oftentimes will buy it from us by itself. High-end restaurants will use it for different things because it's got such a large amount of flavor. The Totsoy also we sell individually bagged. And so I grow a lot of it because we can also use that as an additional bagged item on the table. So we then do Mizuna. Mizuna is a mild green. It's got a really long stem, and I will cut that, and people will be like, your stuff's got all the stems in it. And I go, I know, it's terrible. You should taste it. It's delicious. It's spectacular, and it adds a whole other crunch and body to the mix. And if people can get over it, 
It's absolutely phenomenal in a salad mix. And usually after people try it, they're, they're happy to have it in there. And the key is to pick the Mizuna when it's smaller. So it yeah. has this long stem that's part of what it is. It's this nice, white, longer stem that's really crunchy. It's not a chewy stem. It's a really mild, nice, crunchy, uh, white stem. So you just want to cut that one when it's smaller. So anyway, that's, that's in my mind, it's, that's a huge bonus to our salad mix. The next one is Ruby Streaks. And Ruby Streaks is a pretty hot one. Um, but it's the same as the, the trace vine. It's super frilly. I mean, it's just like, it's and it's purple and purple to add to a salad mix is just a beautiful touch. And so it's got this green with purple vining all through it. It's a really pretty uh, mustard and it adds a little bit of heat to the mustard, to the mix. Um, red giant is a, as it would sound, it's a red mustard, a big leaf red mustard. You typically want to cut it when it's a in its baby stage, um, but it adds this really pretty reddish, purplish color to the mix as well. Um, it also has a, a really firm stem that adds a bit of texture and crunch to the salad mix. Purple Osaka is a purple um, mustard that it, it has like a cupped leaf to it as opposed to like a, a mustard, like if you're used to seeing mustard greens that are more frilly, this one has like a real cup to it. And the, the uh, stem is kind of, it kind of comes down and widens out almost like a chard, but not, not like a chard, but similar that type of way. And so it adds like this whole other dimension to the salad mix. Now these two I have the most trouble with, with germination and, and sort of having them all the time. Usually one works and one doesn't. So either it has one or the other is just usually the way it goes. Um, and so I grow them both. I would like to get rid of one of them, honestly, and just grow one of them. But so far, I haven't been able to figure out which one I wanted to get rid of. Green Wave is like a workhorse mustard green. I was going to say the same thing. It is like say those same words. always there. <laughs> it always performs. It is great as a small cut. It, it fill, It has. It's so frilly. It's almost like a a, a a curly green kale is kind of what it looks like. It's a little paler in color than that. But once it gets bigger, you can bunch it as bunched kale or bunched mustards. And so you get multiple uses out of that. So you cut it as a baby, you know, and you can get a, a second harvest out of it. If you don't get to the end of the row and it gets too big, you can start bunching it. And so it's, it's great for that. Um, Arugula gets its own bed. It gets its whole bed of its own. All seven rows are, and I just do basic arugula. I used to do wild arugula and basic arugula, and I just found the, the wild arugula, people like the basic arugula better. It was what I found, and it made it easier for me um, in managing things. Did we put the, the salad greens harvester? It's on, okay, yeah. And so I have a, I'll, you'll better see me. I'm gonna use the salad greens harvester on some arugula and I'll, I'll show you a video of that in a minute. I just wanted to mention too, the, one of the reasons why we do arugula um, its own bed is because we sell arugula separately yeah. by itself. It's a, one of our, another one of our big sellers. We sell it for $12 a pound. And um, it's, a, it's a wonderful uh, leaf because you can get multiple cuts you can use uh, the salad harvester very well with it and cut it really quickly, and it's just really popular. And the beds, pretty much you can have arugula in about 30 days. It's fast. Yeah, it's it comes fast. on really fast. You get multiple cuts out of it. And we have customers that literally, I mean, we were at Farmer's Market in December, mm -hmm. 
Selling at December, one. and we would call them and say, hey, we're down here with her, and they would, like, they would say, call us if you're going to be there, if you still have it. That's how, I mean, they would come down and buy this arugula from us. Right. Um, so now we're about so I talked a little bit about prepping beds. Actually, let's skip through it because we're running out of time. All right. You, he already kind of touched on prepping the beds. Um, um, you want to look up there if you want to add anything. Wanna so soil amendments, tarps we talked about, spading, and prepping beds. Um, we talked about seeding. So you can. we didn't talk about seeding, so let's stop there. All right. Um, so, you know, back in the old days, you get your packet of seeds, you pour it in your hand, and you went out there and sprinkled them in the row. You you could do that. Um, this is a small garden. If you have a small garden, that would be practical. If you're doing market gardening and you're trying to do this for a living, that would be insane. Um, people do it. I have a friend who does it. Comes to market. That's how he plants it. Um, so why, you shouldn't say it's insane. It's it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's difficult. It's, what I'm saying is that's kind of, when you start to price a cedar, and the amount of labor, you pay for the cedar really quickly. So to me, it doesn't make it doesn't add up. And so if you're going to do a lot of this and you're going to make money at it, S E E D E R cedar. Um, and we're going to talk about it. So that right there is a cedar. It's like a walk behind cedar. That's a walk. That's a yeah, a walk behind cedar. Um, that's a Planet Junior. This is technology from probably 1940s. Um, I used that cedar for years at the Black Hills Health and Education Center. That was our cedar. It is a drop cedar effectively. It has a bucket. You put plates in it that have different size holes, and it has a brush that sweeps over the hole, and that meters the seeds out as you walk. Um, perfectly fine technology even today, but today we have much better options. Um, and so there's a lot of different options and a lot of different approaches to how people do this these days. Um, and so they have, and I can run through them. Um, there's one called a four-point pen cedar, or I think it's something like that, that Johnny sells. Connor Creekmore, he thinks that's his choice right now. It works for him. A lot of people are using the six-row cedar um, from Johnny's as well. Um, that is a lot of people's choices. If you don't have really good bed system, if you have chunky beds and, and rocks in your beds, these tend to be more difficult because they're really closely spaced and they jam easy and people have problems like that. But if you have nice beds and you can prep your beds well, they're really good tools. Um, and so you can look at those and see if they would work for you. Um, you can read the reviews, you can look at videos online and they'll kind of, you know, you can kind of get a feel for how they work and if it might work for you. Um, the other, well. Good germination was the last thing you were gonna talk about. Okay. Um, I have a slide on here. No, I, it's not on there anymore. You got rid of them? I got rid of that one. <laughs> Sorry. I just got rid of that one slide. Anyway, the so one. there's a, <laughs> the cedar that I use is called a Jang cedar. Um, it's a, I wish I could show you a picture of it. I had planned to show you a picture of it. Um, Jang, J-A-N-G. I think it's Korea or, or one of the countries over by Korea. They actually have a lot of small-scale farmers, and there's not really a lot of appropriately scaled technology for small-scale farmers. And so their government said, listen, we will fund a project for somebody to develop 
a practical singulating seeder. So singulating means it will actually singulate the seeds and drop the seeds one at a time. Appropriately scaled singulating seeder, and we will, you know, everybody submit their, you know, ideas, and if we choose your idea, we will help fund the project. And Jang won the project, and they have developed this cedar, and we've brought it to America, and it's a brilliant little cedar. We'll show cedar. you the picture at the end. We'll have time to do that. So I just, can I touch on the germination? Part? I'm going to talk about the germination, but I just want you to, to know I don't use these cedars anymore. I use a Jang cedar. You can give them singled, walk behind. They have them where you have walk behinds with three rows, six rows, up to 12 rows at a time, um, 36 inches wide. They can also be mounted on the back of a three-point hitch. They have attachments that you can mount those bigger ones on three-point hitch. So if you're doing big beds with tractors, and depending on what scale you're at, they have those for all the different scales. The way they work is they have little rollers that have different hole patterns, and you buy those different rollers depending on the seed you want to use in it. And there's all kinds of adjustments and mechanisms to, for each different size seed or shape of seed that facilitates it singulating correctly, or at least like with the salad mix, raw lettuce seed, it gets pretty close to singulated. It's not really going to singulate those kinds of seeds very well, <laughs> but they're hard to singulate. Um, you can. Michelle would like to talk to you about germination. Okay. So this is where you tap into people that have been farming a while to get these tips and tricks that help with things and save a lot of time. So here's a picture of you know, direct seeding the different greens in the rows. And we have found one of the keys to germination is keeping it very moist, the ground moist. And we have this kind of rule of thumb on our farm is if it hasn't rained in a long time, um, like a heavy rain, just go out and direct seed and then it'll heavy rain and mess up all the germination that you need. Or if you don't want it to rain, decide not to direct seed. That's just how it works. So what we've found is if we direct seed, we put row cover over it right away. And that little bit of covering helps. If we get a torrential downpour, it protects it and it doesn't mess up uh, the germination. Once we see it about this size, then we'll pull that row cover off. And that's made a huge difference on our germination. And it also holds the moisture. So instead of the wind drying out and the sun drying out, you're, you're you know, it's just a, a brown bed. So, you know, it's going to pick up heat and wick moisture off really quickly but with the row cover layer there it tends to stay moist and then the germination happens a lot more evenly and a lot faster that way okay we're just going to talk a little bit about irrigation I'll, I'll make another comment on the mustard greens and the the arugula mm -hmm. has anybody ever had problems with flea beetles, flea beetles? okay they will devour they will leave you with little sticks on those things we we put the row cover on and we leave the row cover on on those even in the middle of summer. We'll get the lightest weight. What we will do is we'll pull it off, we'll cultivate, and we'll put the wire hoops, little mini hoops, on the beds, and then put the row cover back over, and that's how we manage the mustards. And the mustards grow so quick, one little quick weeding, and they are pretty much gonna canopy, and you won't get much in the way of weed pressure after that. Um, we use wobblers on the farm right now. I, I am mixed feelings about it. I like the... I like the idea of how it works. This is drip tape here. If you can see the drip tape, and then this is a bed of peas that we have with drip tape in them. You see Monty there? Oh yes, and Monty. Um, and so we, we use drip tape for a long, long time, 
and it works really, really well, but when you're cultivating or you're doing anything, you've got all this drip tape in seven rows. That's a lot of drip tape. And or it's, when it's just two people and you just uh, you got a hundred foot row and row. you're going back and forth and back and forth. Turning those wobblers on and moving those around is a lot easier. So it's it's there's pluses and minuses. It doesn't water as even though. And it takes a lot longer to get the amount of water down that I'd like to see when I'm watering. So I have to spend more time letting them run. Um, it's kind of nice as a mister to kind of cool things yeah. down in the day. Yeah, especially if the row cover's on. It just, what the row cover does too is it's almost like a diffuser when you get a heavy rain. It hits that stuff and it kind of diffuses the raindrop and it doesn't, it doesn't pound the ground, so. So you only got about seven more minutes. Cultivation, um, because we're doing seven rows, they're really tight together. This is a, a hoe from Johnny's. It's three and a quarter inch hoe. So it's about this wide. And it will literally, it fits right in, in our rows. And so we, we use that. Um, I've just developed a little tying system. I have an Alice Chalmers G, which is a belly mounted uh, cultivating tractor with the engine in the back and um, creating a way to do the whole bed mechanically. Uh, but until then, we have this. Um, the other option, is Michelle's favorite way to, to deal with it, <laughs> and weeding. So you get your, your iPhone that we learned last night that we're all gonna get rid of, and you <laughs> put a nice sermon on there and use your technology appropriately, and weeding. you listen to a sermon, weeding and you kinda just weed and think about, Lord, what are you wanting to teach me today? And you look for the object lesson. Cause I, and I'm, I'm gonna take a moment here. This is fundamental. You can make money doing this. And it's nothing wrong with making money doing it. It's a wonderful way to make money. But the fundamental thing is this is an object lesson for us to meet with our creator in the garden. And when you're there and you're doing all these tasks, enjoy it. It's easy to get wrapped up in the stress and the management and the complication and what failed, how come it didn't work. Enjoy the process. But ultimately, this should be a pleasure and a joy and a place where you're coming and meeting with your Heavenly Father and affording the opportunity to have your character developed and accept that all these challenges, don't let them overwhelm you. And I say that because it is hard not to be overwhelmed sometimes. So, so I wanted to show you one more tool. Here's a video. I just push play. I haven't used this, but I'm very intrigued by this. They make one for a tractor, and this is a little handheld one. These little tines, you see all the little green leaves in there? Those little tines are just softly going over the soil. When, when weeds are thread weeds, just before they're, when they just germinated, before they're anything, and you just go in and it just disturbs the soil enough to kill those weeds, and it's soft enough tines that it, obviously, it's hard for me to understand or believe, but it's just soft enough that it just kind of pushes the little lettuces out of the way. And um, people have been using it. It's very much timing oriented and you got to have your beds, you know, not too wet, not too dry. All the things got to be there for it to function right. But it seems like it could be a really, really good tool for early cultivation to just mitigate a lot of headache. All right. Since Michelle does a lot of the harvesting, I'm going to let her talk about the harvesting. Um, obviously, she's talked to you about the hand harvesting. And this will be a video about the quick cut greens harvester plug for Jonathan Dysinger. <laughs> Um, so you might be asking yourself, why don't we just use the harvester for all the greens? And the reason is some of the greens, um, if we use the harvester, you only get one cut. 
if we want to get two and three, maybe even four cuttings off of it, um, it doesn't work as well. Uh, because obviously by hand you're being much more careful of how you cut. This is just sort of a quick in and out, in and out. It's more of a design for like turning over beds really quickly, which is what our ultimate goal would be, that we're not spending hours and hours and hours hand harvesting. Goal. Um, that's our goal. But you have to be really on top of that succession planting and probably planting every two weeks. We yeah. do every four weeks. Wow. So three or four weeks. So um, that's part of the issue there. Because that arugula is a fast growing plant, um, just the way the arugula, you know, it's not quite, would you say it's not quite as delicate as lettuce? It's just as delicate. It's just, it just harvests so fast. Maybe because it grows so fast, it just works really well with the harvester. We usually get two cuts out of a bed with the harvester. So here's an example of what that looks like. So pretty much takes about five minutes to harvest like 12 pounds it's really fast and then you just put it in the tote yeah. I think part of it too I think part of it too is Larry and I have been doing this for so many years you know how you kind of just get stuck in your way we like really like hand harvesting no, but it wait now it's my turn now it's my turn um <laughs> But what I'm trying to say is, you know, you get to where you feel like you don't want to lose any lettuce. Like you get, you know, that's sort of, I don't want to lose any of it. I want to use every single leaf and I don't want it, I want it to grow back better. But the reality is if you're turning over a large amount of this stuff, you have to let that go and just say, okay, I'm going to lose some leaves, but I just harvested 12 pounds in five minutes. You know, it's a give and take thing. So I thought it would be neat to kind of show what it looks like in the field. The other thing about the harvester is if there's weed pressure, you see all that weed pressure we have there? You can't really use the harvester. I mean, you could harvest it and then go sit in, a sh in the shade and pick through it. I know some farmers do that. We've done it. We have done it before. Um, but if you hand harvest while you cut, you're picking through the good. You're throwing the good in the tote and the bad out. And you know, you've been doing it long enough, it actually gets to be quite quick. So um, when it's really weedy, I just hand harvest it. And, yeah, and you can see the row cover in the background over here. Where the yeah, that's where the mustards would be. And this is that bed system he was talking about. These are the two different lettuces, the braising mix, and then all the mustards are over there. And the, the mustards will go way faster than the salad mix. So part of the management is timing on your mustards from that. And so what I do, I start in the beginning of the year, I plant mustards and lettuce at the same time. Uh, we'll, get the, we'll get the mustards before anything else. And then when we do our second planting, about the time that the, the mustards for the second planting are coming on, we'll get the lettuce for the, from the first planting. And so then my cycle's kind of set for the rest of the year. And it just sort of goes that way for the rest of the year. So the other thing about hand harvesting is the squatting. You have to be really good at squatting because you're squatting for hours. No joke. I think that was part of Jonathan's inspiration to make that harvester it is probably to save your, your back and whatnot. Um, so that's me for a lot of hours when we're doing the salad mix. So I, we just thought we'd show you that. So this is the processing and packing. Yeah, so bring it in. Obviously, that's, we have a, a galvanized tub. We fill it with water, go out, start harvesting. When we bring it in, we weigh it before we put it in the water. 
Um, it then goes into the water and we write the weight down and we know basically what we want. And usually it will add a little bit of weight, water weight, as it takes in that water. Um, we would then... Okay, so yeah, I guess she's gonna, there you go. So that's a tub of arugula. That's the arugula I just harvested with the salad greens harvester. Um, so then we pull, pull it out of the water. Explain how you pull it out so of the water. So I don't think she shows this, but we have, right now we have basically uh, laundry bags, the mesh laundry bags. And we'll just, I take them and I scoop it across that whole thing and pick it up in the laundry bag. And then right next to that is a little salad, uh, well, it's a, it's a laundry machine, a, a washing, washing machine. machine. And um, that bag goes in the, the machine and we put it on spin cycle and it spins it like a salad spinner. And you can clean it because it's, it's an uh, enamel coated. So you can bleach it and clean it out and, and kind of that's how we maintain that. And then that comes out of there and we have a scale with a, we use wax boxes, a one and one ninth bushel box. We put a, a hamburger bun bag in there. It's a food grade plastic bag and that then we zero the scale out, put the greens in until it's the weight of whatever restaurant or market or whatever we're doing. Weigh it out, pack it up, and it goes in our cooler. Now, even if I'm leaving for the market in two hours, whatever time I can put that lettuce or arugula or whatever it is, any green, into that cooler, preferably I would have about 12, at least 12 hours for that stuff to hold in the cooler to really crisp and get down to a cold temperature. And most of our greens, that's our cooler there. Um, and you can see the boxes there on the, on the right. And we're at, we're two minutes past, but that's, that's what happens is, is my salad mix generally, if the, if the customer handles it correctly, it will last for them about a week and a half to two weeks. Okay. I'm going to show you one last picture because it's really funny. So this these is. Are just, we've already talked about all these greens. Yeah, so That's just a picture. Season extension is just adding, putting those greens into a greenhouse. Um, just talk about season extension while I get to the green. picture. All right. So um, yeah, you can use your greenhouse. Um, obviously, you can plant earlier and you can go later. Um, if you were, if you haven't, if you. Picture. I'll get it back. Tough talk. Um, if you go online and when me and Alan were doing the uh, market garden class. Um, I think it's picture? the fourth lecture. I think it's the fourth lecture. Alan talks about um, uh, the the degrees you move south when you put covering over your product. So they can listen to it on audio. And so you can listen to that on AudioVerse for season extension. He talks about when you put it, you move. Uh, what do they call it? Um, zones. Zones. Thank you. You move one and a half zones for every layer you put over your uh, product. And so if you put it in a greenhouse, you're moving one and a half zones south. If you put a mini row cover hoops in there, now you're three zones warmer than you were when you didn't have that. And so you can extend your season on both ends using those techniques. So what we'll do now, because it's 11.49, we'll take questions for a few minutes for those that want to stick back. Otherwise, lunch... Um, oh. Starts at 12.30, just to give you like a time frame of time. So it's 11.49. Next thing is at 12.30 is lunch. And I want to make one more mention. There's something really amazing about lettuce. You can actually let lettuce freeze. And if you don't touch it, if you leave it alone, it will thaw and you can harvest it. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a very good winter and spring. Fall and early, spring. Well, mostly in the fall. Did I say winter and spring? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And winter and fall. It's very good in those We also times. want to note really quick right. that farming is not glamorous. 
This is how we look most of the time on the farm. Just Ricky. Yeah, I was just wondering, do you use the same mix all year long? All year long. Yeah, and, and I, we Yeah, repeat the question. Oh, do we use the same mix all year long? Yes, we use the same mix all year long. Um, I think it's just been a blessing to find those lettuces that have been very, very good at working in the hot and the cold. Um, they, they do really well. Obviously, some do better than others given circumstances, but they generally, they all do very well all year long for us. Now, you guys are obviously a lot, probably hotter than we get. Um, you may want to mess around with that a little bit. I think, let me, go ahead. How often do you plan to keep a continuous supply? Ideally, I'd like to do it every two weeks just because it's been, oh, how often do we um, plant to keep a continuous supply? Ideally, we would do it every two weeks, but just because it's, before she came on, me being able to do that was just not realistic. Like, I just have so many responsibilities on the farm that it turned out to be more like every three to four weeks. Um, now that she's on the farm, we're getting better at it. When we added tarps, weather didn't mess me up. Weather can really throw off your plans, too. Um, and so weather permitting and um, just um, responsibility permitting, Every two weeks would be ideal. Just one more quick question. Each, each six rows that you planted was one type of salad mix? No. So the way, when we, when we seed, the way I did it was I do two rows yeah. of like the Samantha, two rows of royal oak leaf, and then two rows of mascara, and I did one row of um, Merlot, which so is seven, it's seven rows. Was it one type of salad mix? And then your next six rolls was another No. Thing. All the lettuces are our base blend plus arugula and, and the frise. And they all go into? They all go into one mix. Okay. And then we would take, that's our base mix. And then anything we're building, any other type of mix we're building after that would be based out of that. So then we just add more stuff depending on what we want to do. Does that make sense, sir? Our rows are 42-inch bed tops. Eight lettuces in the base. Eight different lettuces in the base. Yeah. Uh, right, the, okay, so 42 inches by 100 is what our bed system is. It's uh, actually five foot wide is my tire tracks for my tractor. And so I have a 12, it's a 13 inch wide tire. I measure it at 12 inches. Um, so that gives me five feet center to center on my bed system with a 42 inch bed top, meaning six inches on either side, which gives me a one foot walk path. That's a narrow walk path for people. Most people are doing 18 inches or bigger even. Um, but for us, as a farm, it's not always about like what's most convenient for me. It it's good enough for me. Like I can stand here and I can reach. I can stand over that bed. Um, she has a hard time doing that. Um, and so that's what the system is based on our beds. We, never, we have a pretty much a permanent system. I always drive on the beds. I don't drive in the beds. I mean, I don't. Well, over the beds, meaning on the, t on the tire tracks is our walk path. And so it's pretty much a permanent system where I'm not compacting our beds ever with the tractor. Um, I, when we mow, whatever we're doing, putting amendments down, we always stay on those patterns so that we're not compacting our actual bed system. There's another question over here. I think he had one. So, so there's, a, there's a debate about that. Um, obviously, it's more difficult to harvest when the sun isn't fully out. Um, nutrient set 
typically nutrients will go to the roots in the evening and in the morning it's in the roots still and so you have a lower nutrient set in the leaf in the mornings but that's the best time to harvest um, evenings is probably the, when do we harvest the best time to harvest we harvest when we have time <laughs> I mean there's times I'm out there at noon yeah worst time of day yeah I mean but it's we, what has to happen yeah so I do it um, I just you do you do a lot the reason evening, I think is probably the best the reason why too is when I'm doing it in the heat of the day I'm having to go back, back and, and forth, forth from back. that water very quickly because the leaves just wilt yes. and you don't want that to happen. So to prevent that, if you get up really early in the morning, you could be done with your harvest by 11 o'clock and be completely done with your leaf harvest. But if other things get in the way and you have to go out there at noon and harvest, it's going to take you twice as long because you have to run that stuff to the wash station. Um, you wouldn't plant so much in the winter. Repeat the question. Do we plant in the winter? Um, mostly we plant in preparation for the winter. And so we plant up, meaning we plant more with the idea that it's going to go into the greenhouse, it's going so, to be held, and the cold temperatures, it, it'll just kind of sit there until you harvest it. This is our greenhouse right now. We left it. It's got row cover over it, hoops and row cover over it. When yeah. we get back, it'll be in the 50s, and we'll be able to harvest arugula out of there. Yeah. But if it freezes, you can't harvest. You have to leave it alone. Until it thaws out. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, it bruises and damages. Can you show us which cedar you use? Yes. I'll pull that up. There were several. Yeah. The one cuts. Yeah. And it was just like night and day difference compared to our direct seeding. Yeah, we talked about the Salanova. Yeah. I mean, it just. Yeah, that's, that's what I said. It, you know, you got to weigh what works for you. Where's your pictures? No, I, I mark them and then I come back. Oh, that's terrible looking, but. I do, I'll do one row at a time. So I mark the rows, and to keep them straight, I just go down those rows. Um, handle, though, yeah, you can slide the handle out so that it kind of, you stand in the path and push it. Yeah. They're very, very difficult to work with. They get staticky. They have a lot of problems. They're inexpensive. People, they're really good for peas and beans and bigger stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Jang, you can get the, see the rollers up there at the top with the different holes? That is um, that about s somewhere between five and six hundred dollars to get a complete setup for the Jang. All right, thank you guys so much. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.